of homesick for country. Try to come in on the harmony. <laughs> we should all be wearing Too, suits. And I was ready. I was oh. waiting to come in on the harmony, and he laid go. out on me. Sorry. Right. Good stuff. I guess we should just do a podcast. Let's do this. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the Hour a Week podcast. One I am hour. One, one hour. hour a week. Sorry. One hour a week. Wow. That's that's a bad bad intro when right out of the gate I mess up the Try name of the show. Dude. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Hour a Week podcast. I am Rusty Mott here with Jared Hallier. Hey, everybody. And we are so glad to be with you. This is a special episode. Episode They're all six, by the way. Episodes. Episode six. Is that what we decided we're on? Uh, yes, episode six. I was confirmed. You're trying to confer- You didn't yes. believe me. Confirmed. Why don't you trust me? You've proven yourself. Wow. Um, okay. Well, we'll have to deal with that later because we have with us today a special guest that we are so excited to have. One of the first guests that we talked about needing to get for the podcast and that we talked to not a year ago, but close to a year ago. And now <laughs> we've made it happen because we follow through on things. Weird. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Dr. Scott Moody, who is the assistant professor of preaching at Luther Rice College and Seminary. And he's also the interim pastor at Life Restoration Outreach. Oh, and you can find his resources. He has his own podcast that he hosts, along with writing several articles and helpful blog posts and his sermons, lots of wonderful, wonderful resources at his website, allthingspreaching.com. Dr. Moody, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be with you guys. Finally. Fellowship with you again. A year later. Hey, <laughs> You're like, hey, here. you want to come record? And then what happened to those guys? <laughs> yeah, he probably thought that we had just moved on. Like, we must have heard one of the All Things Preaching podcasts. Well, we're like, never we're mind. Out. We're out. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Forget that guy. So we are so glad that you are here with us. And we're just going to jump straight to you and, and ask you maybe to kind of just share kind of your testimony of ministry. You have a pretty unique testimony in the fact that you served many years in preaching and then transitioned into kind of a different ministry role so kind of share with us uh what that story is well thank you first off it's good to be here with you guys i've known you and i've appreciated you and known your families appreciate your ministry and your churches so thank you for having me it's it's my pleasure to be here my my path of ministry is really connected to this area because i graduated from first off my wife and i grew up in lake charles we met and married and then after graduated from McNeese, we went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth and got my Master of Divinity degree. And uh, when I was praying about God's will about where to go, uh, one of the resumes circulated down here and came in the hands of B.C. McCoy, former the late B.C. McCoy, former director of missions in this Sabine H.'s Baptist area. And the resume ended up at First Baptist Church Bronson. And that really started a ministry that's continued to this day uh, in Southeast Texas, basically a Highway 96 ministry, just right down the highway. <laughs> that's true. Way up Sabine County and, and Bronson, then four years back in my hometown to pastor a mission church, uh, constituted and all of that. And then God brought us to Jasper County at Hillcrest and had seven-year ministry there, God blessed. And then uh, back in 1996, God just moved me further down Highway 96 to First Baptist Church, Silsby, where I was there for 18 years. Uh, but the transition you were talking about, God, uh, in his kindness, allowed me to enroll in the Ph.D. program at Southwestern Seminary. And so I did in 2009, uh, just following his leadership, and drove. It's a five-hour trip one way, so we drove up, went to seminars, came back, pastored, all of that, and then 2014 graduated. 
uh, from Southwestern with a PhD in preaching and a minor in pastoral ministries, and then God redirected my call. I'd also gotten a doctor of ministry degree from Luther Rice College and Seminary. I'm an alumnus of that school and got to know the president, Dr. Jim Flanagan, a great man of God who's so wonderfully leading our institution, and he contacted me about coming on and teaching. Uh, especially since I have the degree now that they, they needed. And so I began teaching preaching and pastoral ministries. And so I became assistant professor of preaching. And uh, I, also, I teach all the ministry classes, or not all, the most of the ministry classes, rather, uh, at the school. And so it is a joy. I'm teaching five classes right now. So Are they all that, preaching classes? Preaching, pastoral ministries, and church and some church leadership. Okay. Church leadership from a, from a pastoral perspective, not, you know, not the leadership pipeline, those kinds of things, but just leadership from a pastoral perspective. And so, anyway, I'm enjoying that. And I've also, we've been involved in a church plant, which is now a church up in uh, Kirbyville at Life Restoration Outreach Center. So, uh, it's enjoying what God is doing, and then God raised up this ministry, All Things Preaching, and so I'm enjoying enjoying that. So, uh, my wife and I live in Silsby, and uh, we have, uh, you know, some grandchildren here now, so we're, we're... enjoying that so anyway hi miss Lori. by the way i'm sure she's, she's doing great shout she's out doing great so Elizabeth she's a sweet well. lady she, elizabeth's great mallory yeah she's Good. she's doing great we would not say otherwise on a recorded yeah, podcast exactly. like yeah let me tell you how things are we'll have to talk house. later yeah. hit pause over there <laughs> <laughs> so we do want to talk today about preaching that's obviously your wheelhouse your passion so let's start with a definition uh, you know, there's all kinds of preaching. People take it all different ways. A lot of guys think that if you just stand up and talk a little bit about Jesus, that's preaching. In your classes, introductory day one, how do you define expository preaching? Well, we hold up a Bible and say, gentlemen, this is a Bible. Uh, uh, <laughs> Some guys need to start there. They really yeah, do. They right. really do because uh, that's, uh, they're starting elsewhere. Well, what I, what I thought I would do in answer to that question is I, I wanted to bring a classic definition and then I just wanted to bring a very practical definition, and then I want to talk about it, if you'll allow me to do that. Very good. The classic really came in. In fact, even the term expositor preaching really, in a manner of speaking, was pioneered by the late Haddon Robinson. Haddon Robinson just went on to be with the Lord, yes. uh, a, a giant in the field. Uh, his masterpiece, Biblical Preaching, mm-hmm. I use it in my classes. It's already in its third edition. And so uh, he really possibly, many attribute him as being the, the originator of that term. But his, here's his definition, and I, I would say this is the classic definition, that expository preaching is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through historical, grammatical, and literary studies of a passage in its context which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through the preacher applies to the hearers. So notice the, the various components of that. It's the communication, as we said, start with the Bible of, right. a, of a biblical concept, derived from or transmitted through the study of the historical, grammatical, literary uh, areas of the text, looking at the context, which the Holy Spirit first starts with us, mm-hmm. then speaks to our listeners. And I think that's a great concept, and that really covers all the facets, I believe, of expository preaching. Now, I'm a student, I'm a graduate, of, a two-time graduate of Southwestern, and if you know anything about where the, the direction they're going, and I, this is actually taught to me, that now they're taking, they're nuancing it even more to talk about text-driven preaching, that the sermon centers on the text, mm-hmm. focuses on the text, and stays with the text, not only in sermon content, what the text says, but in sermon form how the text says it. So 
How does the text say something in the book of Judges when you're looking at narrative? Is that different from how the text says it the way Paul, when he writes the church at Ephesus? Well, it, it, there is a difference there. One, sure. one is narrative. One is an epistle or epistolary form. So we not only give emphasis to the content, but also, as he said, the context but, and also the form. Now, he said, and, and that's what he said on, on, the, on the top of this page, and I can see it on the page right now, but just about two paragraphs down, he says this, not to stand with Haddon Robinson, and I just think this is really what we ought to uh, focus on just for a moment. Expositor preaching at its core is more a philosophy than a method. Mm. Because so often we just think, well, it's a method. And, you know, here, here's what you do in moving from text to Scripture. You, 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 this is the process, almost like a conveyor belt, that you, you move from process A, you know, to B, to C, to D, all the way down. Then you have the end result, the, the sermon in the pulpit on Sunday morning. But he says that really at its core, it's more of, of a philosophy, a mindset. You know, we joked a while ago, but it's really true. It starts with the Bible, it stays mm-hmm. with the Bible, and it stops with the Bible. Don't mm-hmm. say something the Lord has not said in the Word. I hear a lot of that as I watch religious programming and hear what some folks have really the audacity to say that God said in his word. Right. So you start with the text, stay with the text, stop with the text. And so I like this about it's more of a philosophy. John Stott, John R. W. Stott, the great British uh, pastor, the All Souls pastor there in London, said this, the secret of preaching is not mastering certain techniques, but being mastered by certain convictions. Wow. I like that, and I think if the convictions are there about about the word, then I think really uh, this sort of gets us away from what some have called the cookie cutter approach to sermon preparation. That, and I, I listen. I have I'm, I'm teaching two preaching classes right now, and I have forty plus in one class, and I think thirty plus in another class in my prep class and my sermon delivery, and so I see a lot of different sermons semester to semester. One class preach, prepares sermons, just manuscripts on Galatians. Another class, you know, they prepare sermons on other areas of the book of the Bible. But anyway, I see a lot of sermons, and uh, a lot of them. When I see that, they're 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 a lot of them are good. Some of them are uh, less than good. You know, it's like <laughs> how do you so tell kind. somebody your baby's ugly? You know, yeah. you just don't yeah. do that. So, um, but what I do see, I, I will cut a person a lot of slack. Even in my grading and evaluation, when I see that those convictions that they're mastered by those convictions about the Bible, but yet their techniques are not are not their skill sets mm. not been developed yet, and and so I, I like that. Now, let me give you a very practical definition of that's preaching. what we need. And yeah. so, and, and, and <laughs> now it, you're talking our language. And, and this, and I think he's one of the I think he's one of the best newer writers. He's not new, but newer writers on preaching right now. Abraham Cravilla. And this is his book, A Vision for Preaching, and I get this definition from his book right here, and he says this, biblical preaching by a leader of the church is a gather, in a gathering of Christians for worship is the communication of the thrust of a pericope of Scripture, that is the preaching unit, discerned by theological exegesis and of its application to, the, to that specific body of believers that they may be conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God and all the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that is a somewhat wordy definition, but I do like the very first part of it, by a leader of the church and a gathering of Christians for worship. Because what he talks about in this book, notice the title, notice the subtitle, Understanding the Heart of Pastoral Ministry. Because what he says is that, that really the exegesis of Scripture or biblical preaching occurs always within the context of worship. 
Think about that. You guys are prepping for Sunday. Yeah. I'll be prepping for Sunday. I'm not going to go to my closet and preach. I'm going to go to a congregation of sure. God's folks. I'm going to go to the church, and I'm going to preach. So that's what he means here by a leader of the church and the gathering of Christians for worship is the communication of the thrust of a pericope of Scripture, all in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. Isn't that our goal anyway? Yeah. To see our members become more like Christ? Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4? Shouldn't that be the goal of all preaching? So, yes, when you talk about expository preaching, there, I believe there is a method. I believe that there is that. But be subsurface to the method, foundational to the method, I hope there are some convictions about God, His Word, about the way of salvation, about what we need to believe, about Scripture. I was just looking today in preparation for our time together this morning, and I was looking at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, where Ezra stood on the, as the King James says, the, he stood on the pulpit of wood. And they read Scripture. And the Scripture says those Levites read the Scripture and gave the sense of it for the understanding of the people. Well, there's a biblical basis for expository preaching or biblical preaching or text-driven preaching right there. It goes back to the first definition you gave, the concept based on the text. Exactly. I think sometimes there's a pushback by some people from you know even the idea or the term expository preaching where they think it's an academic exercise uh, that's kind of a transfer uh, transfer of information, you know. Well, here's what the the original languages mean, and here's kind of the breakdown of the passage. And they think that it's so academic that it can't get to the heart of it. But the two definitions you just gave flip that on its head. Exactly. That it's it's a concept based on the text. There's a heart message. There's a a Holy Spirit movement. But there is some some study involved. There is some academia, if you will, involved in studying the text. I, I think some people are afraid of it because it's too academic and not ground level or street level enough. Mm -hmm. There's a certain denomination that says that, that this name study altogether and says, the Lord will give it to me when I get in the pulpit. Well, I'll pity those people. Yikes. You know, when they, if the sermon's just going to fall down from above, they're on the spur of the moment. I've, I've uh, had people who say that, and there are times where the Lord is kind of very quickly put something on my heart at a different time to share maybe something different than I'd planned. That That's not the regular for sure. me. But in the moments when that have happened, and I've shared with like our deacons and elders before that like I'll wake up on a Sunday morning and the Lord will lead in a different direction and I'll prepare a different message, but I, I know it's not going to be as sharp and I'll be kind of confessing that to them and saying, oh man, but I got to get up and I'm, and they almost, there's like a glee, like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, like now we're really going to get the spirits work yeah. now that you're <laughs> not using your preparation. You, yeah. And and it's like, I, I try to push back on that and remind them that no, they're the, the Spirit leads in preparation. At least he, he, you better be. We better be following the Spirit's leading even in this preparation process. Um, and, and I think God certainly blesses that. And again, not to discredit those moments that, that have happened sparingly. Yeah. Uh, if that happens all the time, I think you might be missing that it. That should be uh, the exception, not the you know, rule. Uh, but yeah, that's always interesting because there is even within Southern Baptist life kind of a, oh, 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 well, yeah, if you get away from all that prep you've been doing, then you really <laughs> let the Spirit lead. Right. And it's like, what are you talking about? Right. Like prepping's a curse. Yeah. You know, God doesn't operate in a vacuum. And I can just tell you, it's it's been rare. And in fact, I'm thinking to think, has it ever happened that God, maybe I'm confessing to myself here, has God ever shut me down to not preach what I prepped during that week. I don't know that that's mm -hmm. ever happened. Now, what God has done within the sermon, he has moved me to say something or to mm -hmm. emphasize something I had not planned on. Yeah. yeah. But as far as totally redirecting me from, from the time where, from the time I leave the house with the sermon in the Bible, ready to preach, and then during the music 
time of the service, the worship time, then he redirects me and says, you don't preach that, you go and preach this. I don't know that that's ever happened to me. Yeah, uh, It's been so rare, I can't remember. Yeah. So God does honor the prep time. No doubt. And no doubt. so, you know, as Paul said, study to show yourself approved. So, so being a teacher of preaching, you said you see a lot of good and a lot of not so good or less than good. So in the students that you see, and this is going to be helpful, not just for students in your classes, but for hopefully anybody that stands and preaches, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see among young preachers? Maybe not even young preachers, but preachers, there might be some old guys who are still making some of these common mistakes. What are some things that you see often enough that, that they stick out? The, the, the number one mistake, and, and it, this transcends experience level. I, I do see it primarily in, in the, in the non-experienced are little experience more than I do the experience. But the one mistake that I see is what I call a lack of sermon alignment. There, it's a disconnect between the text, and, and this is the worst kind of lack of alignment. There's a disconnect between the text and the sermon. Now, now that that's that's yes, yeah, bad. That's bad. That's bad. But that and that's that's rare. More often, I see a lack of alignment between, for example, the sermon title and the outline. You know, uh, in fact, one thing I disdain in the class is when they'll say, I'm going to tell you three things today. Get rid of the word things. We don't share things. This okay. is not about things. This is about truth. This is about realities. This is about affirmations. This is about teachings of the Word of God. So throw out the word things. But the sermon title will be one thing. The central idea of the text or the big idea, Haddon Robinson also coined the idea of the big idea, and that's what I use week to week. The big idea of the text might be something else, and then the outline might be something else. And I'm going, hey, we need to galvanize these things, weld these things together. Let there be continuity and flow between whatever you announce. And we can talk about titles. I know, I know the generation after me, uh, they're not big on titles, but, but a title can be uh, a great, great help to a sermon. You think about, th- think about title in, in terms of a contract. That, that if I put it out there on the title, then I, in, in a sense, I'm sort of sitting, sitting, signing a contract with my people that if you will come and invest your time with me for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. let, let the time be however it, it needs to be there. <laughs> if you'll invest your time with me, then my contract is, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the love of God. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the peace of, of Jesus. That main concept that you mentioned earlier, that main point that you can yes. huddle around. yes. And then the outline, what might be something else. And so the number one, and, and I see this all the time. In fact, I tell the students, the number one is a lack of a sermon alignment. In other words, let these things line up. If you drive a car that's not aligned, you're going to have trouble, even with the headlights if they're not aligned right. Yeah. You know, So you, you need to be facing straight ahead, and you need to be able to move straight ahead. And so that's that's what I see. That's that's number one. Number two, I would say lack lack of meaningful illustrations. Meaningful illustrations. Meaningful illustrations, uh, and I, and maybe I shouldn't even insert the word meaningful. Sometimes it's just a plain lack of illustrations. It's interesting because a lot of times I hear that when it comes to illustrations, the critique is too many. So why why would that be a lack of illustrations? Why would that be a concern? Well, let's talk about illustration. Okay, you know the the, the typical. Uh, and this, this goes as far back as Spurgeon. If y'all read lectures to my students by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, the, the, uh, an illustration, he defines it as a window on the Word. That, mm. that, and, and, and that's true, and we need that. And that's why sometimes uh, 
illustrations need to be more plentiful in our sermons. And certainly some of the sermons that I hear, I'm thinking, you know, an illustration would help there. I don't even know. I don't even know as I'm hearing you preach this, is this even clear in your mind? <laughs> so you know if, there, if there's a if there's a, if there's a fog in the pulpit, got to preach this afternoon. I'm still trying. Yeah. I'm still looking Hope through the fog, so. taking notes over there. As someone well said, if there's a fog in the pulpit, there's definitely a mist in the pew. Wow. So <laughs> illustrations would help. Illustrations would help. But but let's nuance illustration for just a little bit. The illustrations. If the title is the contract, then illustrations also then are are subclauses in the contract that help you develop the, the text of scripture or develop your theme about scripture. And let's just make sure it's right. For, for, here's a, here's an example. First Corinthians chapter two, that wonderful passage where Paul says, "I eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared beforehand." Can I have a show of hands? How many times you've ever heard a preacher preach on that? And that's they preach on heaven. Hmm. You know, yeah. because heaven is a place where eyes not seen, ears not heard, and that that's wonderful. But if you'll look at that passage carefully, this goes back to our earlier point about there's a disconnect between the the text and the sermon, because Paul's not talking about heaven there; he's talking about the things that the Spirit reveals to us, hmm. and that's that's the meaning of the passage there. So let's make sure, first off, we line up with Scripture in the sermon, and then secondly, if you're going to be preaching on uh, wonderful realities to come, and I'm just throwing that out there, well then, what is your big idea? Does it tie in? Paul affirms some glorious realities that will be ours in heaven one day to encourage us to be faithful now. There, there, there's your big idea in just a, in a matter of words. So then as your outline, does it develop those wonderful realities there? Do, do, you, do you enumerate those realities in the outline? Do, do you speak of them? And then what's the purpose of, of, the, of the, as you develop the sermon? Are you then now you affirming with each point of the sermon, and that's a whole different discussion right there, whether we talk about sermon points or moves mm-hmm. in the sermon things like that does it does each of those underscore and affirm that and then now we come to illustrations do the illustrations do they actually connect are they actually revealing uh bringing greater insight into the teaching for example sometimes illustrations overpower the sermon Hmm. then that's a whole discussion we can have on media in a sermon uh I'll just be confessional here to you. I don't use media. And I, there was a time for the years I was at First Silsby because we had the, the technical capability and all of that. There was I didn't give second thought to plug in a 30-second media mm-hmm. bite, uh, clip from a movie, whatever, and I would show it. I mean, I, I've done some great ones. You know, the the, <laughs> the Hoosiers. Who doesn't love the Hoosiers, right? right. And, and, you know, you know when, when Ray, you know, when the coach says four passes before you shoot and Ray gets down and he puts it up, you know, and everybody's applauding because now they're scoring points because there's nothing but net, and and everybody's cheering them on. But one, he looks over the coach, and the coach is just total. And after about three shots, Ray puts in. Coach calls timeout, puts him on the bench, you know, because you know it's an audience of one. But I, I sometimes I feel like though that if we're not careful, the, the 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 illustration this in this case involving the media overpowers the sermon. So then when I bring it back to the sermon, they might still be thinking about Ray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they walk out thinking, man, I need to watch Hoosiers yeah. again. It's been a long time. Instead of God yeah. is good, they think that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's that's wise. Exactly. So so uh, as far as the illustrations are concerned, that you know, on each side, on each end of the spectrum, not enough. On the other hand, are they right? Do they do they reinforce? Are they really illustrating the point you're trying to make? Sometimes I've heard some great illustrations. They were just in the wrong sermon. Yeah. Yeah. They they weren't conveying the truth 
that the title of the contract, I mean, the contract of the title, rather, and the big idea put out there, they really weren't illustrating that. And I have to confess, sometimes I'm guilty just because I like the illustration so much. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary thing. I, I remember we were hanging out back in the spring, and I asked a question similar to this. What's the, what's the biggest thing you see? And you brought this up about alignment. And if it was Monday or Tuesday, we were on that retreat, and, and I started thinking about my message from Sunday, and I was like, oh, man. Like, it just started thinking, my sermon was out of alignment, you know? <laughs> so then I was working on my message for that next Sunday, and I was just like, man, I got to... And so quickly, you kind of get back away from that. And I'm even thinking now, as we're talking through that, that we've talked before, Jared, about like a one-point sermon, right. that maybe a sermon, we try to do too much in one sermon. And, and we're not really advocating for a one-point sermon here, but that, that a, a one-idea sermon, what is the meaning of that text, and how are these points, affirmations, not things, but whatever they are, how are they building the case for that main for point? For that one main idea. And, yeah. and I struggle to do that. I'm, I'm generally a, hey, uh, let me kind of talk some background about this text, and here are three things I want you to see. And they may be three wildly different things that do find their root in the text. It's not wild and outside of Scripture, but they're going to have to try to remember three very broad and different things, and instead of being able to hold on to that one big idea what what was that paragraph meant to speak to that um recipient of it and how is god wanting to use that for cornerstone or wherever i'm preaching that day um so i I think that's that's a good thing for us to kind of think through and walk through together and not just for the hearers you can see where that would be helpful for the preacher in his preparation because it gives him one central idea to bring everything back to and that can help you trim the fat from a sermon you know absolutely call the bad illustrations make sure that everything is in line which brings me to the next the next and, and, and we can move on, but that is a lack of, of a crystal clear understanding by the preacher. Mm-hmm. And that's that there we're now we're at the big idea or the central idea of the text, that 15 to 18 word sentence in, in that states what is true for the original hearers of the text. And then that's connected to the proposition, sermon proposition, the 15 to 18 word sentence that is that states what is true for the contemporary listeners of the sermon or readers of the text. So say that again. I'm sorry. I don't, uh, the if you're going to follow typical teaching, uh, and there's different labels for this, you can either call it central idea of the text or sermon focus, and that is a 15 to 18 word sentence that states what is true for the original hearers okay. of, the, of the text or readers of the text, sermon proposition, the 15 to 18 word sentence stating what is true for the contemporary that is today. Yeah. But let's be congregation specific. What is true for Cornerstone? Cornerstone. Yeah. What is true for your folks there? And so, Pecan you know, Acres. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but here's the, and this is what I've seen too. They'll, they'll turn into sermon brief. In fact, right now, one of my classes they're turning into sermon brief right now. Sermon brief is where you write out the introduction, write out the conclusion, then you have your outline in between. That's basically sort of what I follow. Okay. Uh, is that, that what you take into the pulpit on Sundays? That's what I take in the pulpit. So and, kind of word for word on those intro and conclusion? Almost. Okay. Almost. And so for sure the illustration that I use opening and closing. So anyway, I have that written out. And what I'll see when they turn in, they'll turn in something that has 45 words, 50 words. It's like a paragraph. And I'm going, this, this is foggy. This is foggy. You know, foggy leads to mist. Mm-hmm. So that's not true. Uh, you mentioned that real specific, clear, crisp. You know, we, maybe we ought to change it to rather than ser- big idea or central idea, maybe we ought to change it to sermon tweet. That's wow. good. 
And so if you can't state it in 140 characters or less, oh, not yeah. 280. They're trying to move it up to 280. They're, they're trying to enlarge it. Oh no! But if you can't state it in 140 characters or less, then you don't know. You don't know what the. That's ooh, good. You know, you don't know what the idea of the text is. Ooh. I also read in one of my books you ought to be able to pass a 3 a.m. test, and that is on Sunday morning at 3 a.m. Somebody ought to come in your room, grab you, pull you up, shake you, and say, "Now, <laughs> right now, what are you preaching on tomorrow?" And you ought to be able to get them. You ought to the, know it. Big idea That's right good. there because you're so saturated with it. So I think maybe we could change it. Let's just do that. Let's call sermon it sermon tweet. tweet. Yeah. So if you can't hey, tweet, you're it. the professor here. So I mean, you got the influence to do that. If you're not able to tweet it, you're probably not able to preach it. Clearly. That's it. That's wow. It. That's solid. So so let's. Uh, I, I want to ask. And I know we've got some. We we want to get some some ideas on some resources and stuff. And if we run out of time, we may just get a list of those from you and post it to along with this episode because I know that's one of my favorite things to talk with you about is what are you reading what are all those things but I I wanted to ask this since we kind of hinted around it uh, manuscript versus outline sure. and and like like you said kind of what you take into the pulpit uh, kind of talk about that for just a second and what you've kind of learned and gleaned from that well there there's basically three schools of thought number one and if you know anything about southwestern they preach and teach Noteless. 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 Nothing in the pulpit. Nothing in the pulpit but the Bible. Uh, and I'm a two-time graduate of that. I, ha- I, have done that th- I have done that for seasons in my 35 years. Those were short seasons. Hmm. Uh, what I have used back in it, and I have, you look on my blog, All Things Preaching, I have a blog called uh, Sermon Notes or Noteless, and I, and I talk about this. My home pastor that I, when I grew up in Lake Charles there, and, and I surrendered to preach, he brought me into his office one day, and he showed me his method. And he had, the, you know, the old eight and a half by 15 sheets of paper? Mm-hmm. He'd take one of those, fold it like this, and then he would take a black and a red pen. The red pen was for the sermon title and the sermon points and the various functional elements. If he wanted, if he wanted to notate, like you know, exegesis, illustration, application, and then the black pen, obviously, that's was for everything else. And so he would write that out. And I did that for a few years. I got me, a, I got a bundle of that long paper, got those pens, and I did it. But very quickly, that's when word processing came in. Mm-hmm. And you remember the old dot matrix printers and all, they were very loud, oh, but they also very them. fast. Yeah. <laughs> so those came in, and so I graduated. I remember at Hillcrest, man, I graduated to that and, and used that, and the, those those were sweet. And so I, that, that I forgot, just I discarded the pen and the long sheets of paper, and I began to do that. And so um, I did not follow the note. There's noteless, and they say, you know, that's and, – and the reason they say noteless is because you saturate yourself with a sermon, you marinate the sermon, and you're ready to go. And if you're getting your sermon from the text, the text ought to be able to provi- provide reminders for the mm-hmm. sermon. That's school one. School two is the full manuscript people, and these are the H.B. Charles juniors of the world. Uh, Billy Graham's of the world. These are the guys. Rusty Mott's of the world. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Rusty Mott's of the world. Because he's going to get his book published. That's right. So so I've got to keep those sermons uh, so we can compile them into a book and you can publish it under the title Sermons Out of Alignment. (laughs) (laughs) A a manual on what not to do. At least you get sermons published. Let's let's write a book together, Dr. Moody. Uh, I'll provide the sermons and you can just use a red pen or red text throughout the book editing it and working on it. 
edited and improved yes. by Dr. Scott. Um, so anyway, they're there. Like Brother Rusty Mott's of the world. There, there are those that write out the manuscript. What, what are the advantages of that? Obviously, you're giving full clarity as much as you can to your expression of thought. You're thinking through these things. You're, you're, you're writing them out, and so it's, it's, it's. Uh, and boy, the more you do it, I think the better you become at it. Uh, so obviously, that's good. I think I tried that. I think I kind of one hand the times in my whole life that I've that I've attempted that, and uh, I just that's not me. And I think that really goes to how you're gifted, how you're wired. Uh, but but you know there they are, and so H.P. Charles does it. And and here's the thing, and we talked about this I think before when you and I were discussing some preaching things. H.P. Charles does not bring the manuscript to the pulpit. He writes it out, but then he leaves it in the study. But he does have the discipline of every week of writing that out. Now, Dr. Billy Graham, he used to bring it. I don't know if you all ever noticed that. This is more my generation. But Dr. Graham, when he would have the great stadium crusades and all of that, you could see him flipping those pages. Now, he was very good, and you hardly even knew he was reading it. I think he had so familiarized himself with it that – uh, he could just, you know, just just a glance, and he got the idea because he knew what he said, and so then he would just flip the pages and then just go on, make sure to make it, maintain. The downside is, you know, if you if you don't have total familiarity, then the eye contact, you know, is is cut off and not what it should be. And I give my students there that I teach, I give them they 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 can choose what they want. They can go noteless. They can go uh, full manuscript. I like that. I like that you do that instead of. Forcing have them to do it upon this way. a certain way, I kind of like because, like you said, I think there are different different people. Who are, like Jared and I prepare very differently, but but if we switched styles of preparation for a few weeks, it would jack both of us up. Yeah, we'd be bad. You know, um, or worse because we're you know wired and differently, and yeah, you know, and God blesses all methods just to show you that we're not going to put him in a box. Yeah, he'll bless it in his sovereignty. The third school or the third way is what I do and that is the annotated outline or some call it the sermon brief where you basically write out your introduction conclusion and then you have the outline in between and that's what I do that's more extemporaneous that that's more free-flowing that also means that you you must saturate yourself with the material or you're going to get to that outline and it's going to be crickets you know because you okay I see that what does that mean that when I said that so you just really need to to familiarize yourself with that. So that's what I follow. That fits my personality. I think I'm more oral, really, even though I do like it afterwards after I write things out, but I really like that, and I think that serves my purpose. And it fits me well. And one other thing, at for, all, for most of the years at Silsby and for the time that I'm here in Kirbyville, my sermon does connect with a PowerPoint that goes up on the screen, and so I basically take those notes they really, they really get what I have. You know, they'll, they'll have the sermon title, they'll have the big idea, They'll have, if I have a quote that I want to use in my illustration, the quote will be up there. They'll have the outline and then, you know, any closing thing that I want to give. So we got one more kind of thought we want to, Jared, you want to throw this one to him? So we, I know we gave you a list of questions beforehand, and I don't know if we sent you this one or not, but can I ask how old you are? How that's not I the am. question. How, no, that's not the question. How that's, do I look? We didn't. We didn't well, want you. Rattle, I didn't realize you were at Silsby for that long. So we didn't want ready. prep time. We didn't want you to have prep time on that question. Yeah, okay, just yeah. on the spot. I'm fifty nine. Fifty nine. Mm-hmm. So looking back, twenty nine years hindsight, what kind of preaching advice, or even ministry advice, would you give to a thirty year old Scott Moody? Okay, that's a good word. You know, the process of sermon preparation involves many mechanical tasks. 
I guess you could call them a technical task, you know, where you, you start with a text, you, here's what you do, you identify the, the emphasis of the text, the big idea, central idea, whatever you want to call it, and then you move, and this is how you do exegesis. You remember the Robinson definition that we quoted earlier, you know, the literary, historical right. study of the text, grammatical study of the text, and those mechanical tasks are out there, and, and, and they're good things, and, and, and God uses them. And I think we need to avail ourselves of them, and we need to develop the skill set in those areas. But I will tell somebody that's behind me on the road that, you know, over and above the, the exterior work of the mechanical task that we do in our study, make sure that we emphasize the interior work mm. of the heart preparation of the preacher. You know, there's sermon preparation, but for sure, over and above that, there should be preacher preparation. Man, wow. Preaching prep, but there should be preacher prep. Where, where we are... You know, on our face, on our you know, on our knees, our our heart open before the Lord. I, I, I have a great quote here by Timothy Keller. Listen to what he says. He says, and this is in his book Preaching. He says, while the difference between a bad sermon and a good sermon is mainly the responsibility of the preacher, the difference between good preaching and great preaching lies mainly in the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the listener, but as well as in the heart of the preacher. Wow. And far too long, I think possibly that I. In my efforts to prepare for Sunday, you know, Sundays come pretty quick. Somebody described it, you know, when you were a kid and you're in the car and, and the telephone poles with the wires, you know, as you're driving, all of a sudden it's like the telephone mm-hmm. poles just pass so quickly, you know? He said, that's the way Sundays seem to come. Yeah. And Sundays come with alarming regularity. And in my effort to be prepared and to be ready for Sunday, I gave way too much emphasis on the exterior mechanical aspects of preaching, preaching preparation, and not near enough emphasis on the preacher preparation. That rather than trying to find that just right sermon illustration to drive it home, where I could have that drop the mic moment, right. why don't I make sure that my heart is right? Am I taking this message and, and, and applying it right here first? John Calvin, the great, you know, here we're coming up on the 500th year of the Reformation, you know, the solas of Scripture, you know, and things like that. And John Calvin, as he was making his way up to the winding stairs of the pulpit, you know where those elevated pulpits used to be in that day, was heard to have said as he was making his way up, he said, may God cause me to stumble and break my neck if I'm seeking to preach with my lips that which I've not first lived with my life. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the preaching preparation, I think, is paramount. And... Um, that's why I like that and that Haddon Robinson there when he talked about you know the, the work of the Holy Spirit through the preacher first and foremost and so that's what I would say if you say you know give us a word for what you would say what you needed to hear what somebody should have told you would have been nice of them to tell you back then I would have liked to have heard that oh I'm glad sitting here at 33 to have heard that yeah that's a that's a awesome I just started that Bonhoeffer biography by Eric Metaxas. You know, excellent. The, it's, excellent. It's great. I'm about halfway through it. But Bonhoeffer seems to have come to the same realization where he went through the seminaries and studied under these theological giants. But then after the academia, he went and pastored for a few years. And then in the letters that he was writing back to his friends, that's the same point he was making. You know, we learn all these theological things and we learn how to do the historical work and the grammatical work and all these things. But the heart of the pastor is kind of where his life was changed is when he was pastoring people and taking the 
again, the academia stuff and actually putting it into practice. So a similar, similar oh, vein. Absolutely. And, you know, when he went to Finkenwald and started the underground seminary, right. he really underscored, that's really what he taught, life together, community yeah. together. You know, and, and and preparing our hearts before the Lord. That's a great book, by the way. Just don't fall asleep holding it up because if, if that thing fell on <laughs> you, it will cause some damage. Yeah. Especially if you have the hardback, it's just gonna. Well, listen. Obviously, we could talk about this all day because we have gone a little bit long today, but it was worth it. We're very thankful. Um, and if you are as interested in this as us and want to continue the conversation, want to hear f- more from Dr. Scott Moody, here's his phone number. No, I'm kidding. Not going to do that. <laughs> but check out allthingspreaching.com. Lots of great resources. Again, sermons, podcasts, blog posts, uh, lots of wonderful resources. And I just want to thank you, Dr. Scott, for investing in us. I know just uh, Jared and I personally, you and Lori have been a blessing to us and our families and uh, even from afar and up close, we've been very fortunate to get to spend time with you and appreciate you very much and spending time with us today. Well, can I just interject one other thing? My wife and I do this together and we'd love to get Jared and Elizabeth with us, but we also are involved in Double Honor Ministries. It's a retreat setting for pastors and pastor's wives to disengage from ministry for a week and to connect in, in, in a retreat setting. We're doing it. We're leaving Thursday to do one next week up in Arkansas. You're an alumnus. You yeah. and your wife, we'd love to have you and, and your wife. So uh, we do that. And so doublehonorministries.org, I think, is the website. So I'd love to be a part of that. If Definitely you could just check put that out there. So, Definitely anyway. check that out. And be watching our social media stuff, all the books that Dr. Scott, Dr. Moody, Brother Scott, Scotty boy. Scotty. All the books he mentioned today, we will have in a list with links uh, where you can click over and, and buy them. And we'll also have some additional resources that he's fixing to, we're going to make him write down a list of recommended resources. <laughs> Get to work. Get your pen out. Uh, we, no, we lock the door. We do. That uh, was one of our questions that we wanted to ask. And we, we will kind of a couple of those questions that he prepared for. We will, uh, yeah, definitely get those resources to We'll you. have links uh, right below this over on our website hourweek.com or what what is it what's our hourweekpodcast.com there you go we always forget so be sure and follow dr underscore scott moody on twitter thank you follow me at jared hollier and me at bro rusty mott follow our good friend pat overstreet at is this pat o he's gonna make us all sound very beautiful so awesome and we've had a wonderful time. This might this is the longest podcast to record, but this was worth it. This was worth it. Uh, this is also probably by far maybe quadruple the content that we've had. On it. Like if you take out all the, I know, right? Uh, What's with your that. mustache? <laughs> so, but we do sincerely thank you, uh, Doctor Scott, and look forward to maybe doing this again, expository preaching part two down the road. We'll what? have to do that maybe a couple years from now. So let's set it up now, and then maybe two or three years from now. What we'll advice would you give to forty year old Scott? <laughs> That's Right. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess all this left to do. Hey, do you want to do the honor today? How do we drop this thing? Drop the mic. You have to say. Yeah, you what say drop you the say mic. Drop the mic. There, there you is. go. That was awesome. He was literally gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna hurt my ears.